0: hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC this week the roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC this week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan now
1: Hey Jonathan how's it going?
0: It's going all right it seems that everybody knows that we are back in the office from vacation because we got a lot of news to cover this week Amy
1: It's a big news week so yeah. we're gonna have to we're gonna have to cover it fast because there's so much
0: yeah uh, every seminary we have news from every seminary it's like SBC seminaries this week. That's what that's what we should have called it.
1: Yeah, it really is. We have a story from each one and then that another. Often. Yeah. It it really doesn't. I mean, it, it the when you see it is is uh where there's a lot of seminary news would be around their trustee meetings or around graduation.
0: Yeah, but those are staggered even.
1: Right. But so. all in one week, they've all got big announcements.
0: Yeah. So. All right, but we start in Memphis, Amy over at Bellevue Baptist, over in the Memphis, Tennessee area, where they have been sued uh, by parents of a teenage girl who was sexually abused by a former part-time employee of Bellevue Baptist. Uh, The suit alleges negligence and allowing James Hook, who is the, uh, uh, the person who perpetrated the sexual abuse, quote, complete discretion and freedom to have personal and private encounters with volunteers and minors, end quote.
1: Yes. And, and one thing that's important to remember is that the abuser, um, James Hook pled guilty yes. to sexual assault yes. by is an a authority figure. Yes. Yeah. All of the processes in terms of criminal trial have taken place. He was sentenced to six months in jail and four and a half years probation, uh, for that. So he was arrested in May 2019. So now this is a civil suit in response and it is alleging Negligence on the part of Bellevue Baptist Church because of this convicted um, abuser's behavior and connection with the church.
0: Yes, and Bellevue has denied all of the allegations and filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit. It stems from Hook, who was employed on Sunday mornings as the church's preschool wing volunteer coordinator from January of 2017 to March 2019. He was found underneath a blanket with a underage girl, who was 16 at the time, who was a volunteer at Bellevue. That happened two months after he had left the church. So the arrest was not while he was employed by the church, but uh, the lawsuit does allege that some of the activity took place while they were employed and on the campus at Bellevue. Again, Bellevue denies all of the allegations and has filed a motion to dismiss this suit Amy, we'll just have to keep an eye out on this and, and see what happens as it moves through the legal system.
1: Yes. So we'll, when, when we hear of something on it, we will we will update you.
0: All right. Down to Alabama, where we have a, a bit of a strange story. A July 4th weekend, a lot of churches put out flags. Well, First Baptist Church of Grand Bay, Alabama, had a few flags missing. And somebody had taken them, but they returned them, Amy. They once were lost. Now they're found, right? That's
1: right. The, yeah. The thief
0: who remains anonymous, returned the flags with a note asking for forgiveness for the deed. The note read, I'm sorry for taking the flags. I did not mean any disrespect, though I know it was wrong. I asked for forgiveness as soon as I got them. I was drinking and had a dumb idea. Uh, my favorite part is the the P.S. P.S. The flags are beautiful, and I love God and America.
1: Yes, and it also said, I truly apologize. Here are your flags back. Uh, said they they'd taken care of them well. I'm not a bad person, just a little messed up. Uh, but I'm spiritual and have begged forgiveness. So uh, a, a lot of expression, you know, of sincere apology. The pastor told uh, WPMI, which I guess maybe the local, I don't know if it's a radio station, TV station, that they still don't know who it was and they don't want to know said not because we're angry at them, but because we don't want to embarrass them. We don't want them to feel any more remorse than they are already feeling. So they put a post on the church's Facebook page that featured photos of the return flags and of the apology letter and said they accepted the apology, but also invited the person to attend their church. And uh, so they the, the reason they were posting is because they wanted to get the word out. Since you didn't sign it, we accept. Please attend our church's uh, our church services anytime. Yeah. Uh, so that's an interesting interesting holiday story in the 4th of July.
0: Yeah, and, and a great response from that church. So uh, it seems like everything really worked out well. really and, well. And they were able to, you know, kind of a share a gospel spirit with the community and how they handled that. So uh, really nice First Baptist Grand Bay, Alabama. Over to California, Amy. Uh, COVID-19, big outbreaks out there on the West Coast in California. Governor Newsom, has ordered churches to cancel worship in at least 30 counties and basically outlawed singing in church. And there has been a lawsuit that's filed. We're recording this on Friday. A lawsuit was filed late in the week, late on Thursday, uh, by a few non-Southern Baptist churches, but evangelical churches filing lawsuits uh, against this order that the governor has, has struck down. So basically he's dictating how worship happens, and the churches are kind of pushing back against that.
1: Yeah, so the communications team leader for the state convention there just said, our churches are committing to doing what what needs to be done, and uh, we're not happy about the decision. So kind of saying, hey, our churches are really trying to work with this, and so taking that extra step of forbidding indoor worship. And then Roland Slade, who is chairman of the SBC executive committee. Good fruit of the pod. Absolutely. Uh He... He said that he certainly considers it overreach, but what really concerns him is that that from everything he can tell, Governor Newsom doesn't really have a relationship with the faith community. And so uh, Roland said the majority of pastors that he knows understand the health order. They're doing everything they can to ensure the health of the people, but because the governor doesn't have a very close relationship with pastors, he doesn't understand what they're thinking. And so... There really is, and this is not the first time I have seen this. You know, kind of brought up that that there really needs to be a conversation between state and local leaders and yeah, we faith saw the leaders. Thing,
0: same thing in Illinois last month or so,
1: right? Right, that there really needs to be a conversation with government leaders and faith leaders to figure this out because so many things vary. You know, by church size, by location, all of that,
0: and um, by church so, practice, right?
1: Right. Absolutely. And so that's, that's the difficulty. Uh, but, uh, they also said the state convention leader said and, and Roland said that, that any pastors, you know, the pastors they know are planning to comply with the order, but just really not happy to see it the way it's been handled. So it yeah. affects indoor worship in 30 counties. It does say that they can do some other things. So there are churches that are, you know, doing outdoor, you know, maybe in the parking lots, kind of like, I mean, my church is doing that. Um, we have a couple of indoor services that are reservation only with a maximum number. And then we have an outdoor service in the parking lot. So uh, it sounds like a yeah, lot of Yeah, that's the one are, you go
0: to with your parasol. I,
1: yes, with my parasol, it don't worry, folks, didn't actually purchase a parasol. It was an umbrella that I won as a door prize. But I use it to keep the sun out, so that means definition-wise it's a parasol.
0: I, I like to think of it as a parasol because I, I yes. think of you as someone who would have a parasol.
1: Well, I used to be a living nanny, and I was uh, called Mary Poppins. So there you go. It, Bingo. it fits really well. Yeah. But anyway, I... Uh, so they do some of that, drive-in services. So churches are trying to figure out what to do. But just the blanket um, order, it, I think, is really tough.
0: Yeah. So they, he's also limited indoor activities at fitness centers, malls, offices for non-essential sectors, hair salons, barbershops, protests. I'm not sure what an indoor protest is. Uh, personal care services like nail salons, body waxing, and tattoo parlors and a whole list of other businesses, including dine-in restaurants, movie theaters, and museums. So first time I've seen churches on a list with body waxing, Amy. No comment. Those two usually don't go together. Okay, uh, so that's California. Keep an eye out on that uh, because the lawsuit is now moving through, and uh, we'll see if anybody steps in and orders a, a stay on that order. And we mentioned it at the top, Amy. We have news from all our seminaries. We'll start in California where this order by Governor Newsom is affecting Gateway. They announced the order on Monday. Gateway announced later in the week that because of this, the the campus has returned to lockdown. So the Los Angeles campus and the San Francisco campus buildings are closed to students and non-essential employees. So everybody else has to go home. Only essential operations uh, like the business office, facilities, instruction, human resources, IT, and recruiting uh, will be open and in modified ways. So any classes that were scheduled to meet on campus in July out there at either the Los Angeles campus or the San Francisco campus will be done through remote access so yes you know this this affects our seminaries because of the order it's not only affecting churches it's affecting a lot of different things in California over to southwestern amy big news a couple of big stories from our friends in Fort Worth
1: they had a called meeting this week and uh where their trustees a called meeting of their trustees where they unanimously approved a conservative budget for the 2020-2021 academic year. So it's a $29.7 million budget, which is 6% lower than this past year, and uh, really just working to make sure they are prepared for what is ahead in light of the pandemic. They had already instituted spending reductions of approximately 25%, but they had an improved outlook on CP funding and enrollment revenue, but they approved a budget that had some more modest cuts. So it really was just a conservative approach in projecting revenue and then trying to make sure they kept their institutional expenses where they needed to be. But that was that—that was the reason for the call meeting. So it was kind of the the major action. Yeah. But...
0: Got some good news too. Yeah,
1: in the middle of that, though, they got a report that really, was uh, just, just interesting to me. So they couldn't have an in-person preview for prospective students. And so they hosted a series of online virtual previews. Well, that resulted in a 165% increase year over year from yeah. spring 2019.
0: A lot easier to attend a virtual preview than it is an in-person one for obvious right. reasons.
1: So, all right, so let's say that's not surprising. You know, kind of a—that's an easy one. You're going to have a lot of. We would all
0: expect that. That's right.
1: Right, but they got 63 percent more applications resulting from the virtual previews than the last two spring preview year, last two years of spring previews combined. Yeah. So they actually saw a significant uptick in new student enrollment, and even in new student on campus enrollment.
0: Yeah. So you got got more fish in the pond, Amy.
1: Yeah. Catch more fish, right? The, they are also seeing a record summer enrollment in terms of total hours that are taken by students. Um, 24.9% increase compared to last summer, despite the fact that they were only able to offer online courses. I have a theory about this. Okay. I, know, I mean, I understand we've been worried about the economy and people being able to take classes.
0: Is this the Ed Upton effect? Our friend Ed went there and everything's up? Is that that's oh, your theory? Maybe.
1: Maybe. But also, everything's changed with the pandemic, and I understand there's been you know economic hits, but I wonder this is only speculation it's a theory. I just wonder if you have this situation where lots of meetings got canceled, conferences got cancelled, vacations got canceled, our summers are looking very different than they normally do because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but my family is on the go all the time in the summer and we like the last three summers yeah. or so. We mission trips, annual oh, meeting, yeah. other sense. conferences, things like that. So all of a sudden, people have a lot of time on their hands that they don't normally, and maybe even have saved a little money because they're not doing all this traveling. So if you're a student, why wouldn't you take more hours? It's online. Makes sense to me. You're at, you're you're at home a lot more. I don't know. That's just a guess. I would love. to... I would love to know if they ended up doing a survey, you know, as as to how the the, I think that's the increase a valid of those theory. hours.
0: That's probably a it's better a theory than mine was. What was yours? The Ed Upton effect.
1: Oh well, it's certainly. I. That's certainly, that's a valid theory uh, too. Yeah, that's a valid theory too. We are. Uh, it's always possible that Ed Upton got there and people said, "Hey." I want to take more hours. He does a lot with alumni engagement, things like that. They said, I'm ready to graduate and be an alum so that, yeah. you know, I can deal with that. But
0: but wait, there's more from Southwestern, Amy. Some big announcements yes. and personnel.
1: So they've also announced three new faculty members, um, all of whom I know. Ted Cable, who is, uh, he's a two-time Southwestern graduate and a former faculty member. So he's kind of returning And uh, to to join the faculty, he will be professor of philosophy of religion in the School of Theology. Um, Lily Park, she's a biblical counselor, and she's got lots of experience in church, academic settings, everything. She's been appointed associate professor of biblical counseling in the Terry School of Educational Ministries. And Kenneth Magnuson was uh, appointed professor of Christian ethics in the School of Theology. He's going to teach part-time and supervise students in the PhD program because he's already uh, been named, just recently, Executive Director of the Evangelical Theological Society of ETS. Does that that make
0: him king at the nerd prom?
1: I don't feel like you had to go there. I, I, I go to ETS every year. And I don't think you had to say it that way. Okay. And he's got a big task ahead of him this year for ETS because
0: Is that- um oh, because I guess, they had to, are they gonna meet?
1: They had to cancel. Oh but they but oh. what I saw what I saw was that they were planning to do something virtually. Okay. But here's the thing with ETS. I mean, now it's not as many people as the conference that follows it. Um, Society for Biblical Literature and American Academy of Religion and things like that. but for for my experience ETS is is really big and there are sessions going on all the time. So if people are still going to get to deliver their papers in maybe smaller you know online, forums, things like that. It's just going to be a lot to manage. It's a lot to manage on the ground anyway, because they they meet usually in hotels and conference centers, and they're using up all the small rooms, and then you'll have the big plenary sessions at night. But it's like massive numbers of just breakout sessions, just one right after the other. And so um, so he gets to kind of transition that to yeah. an electronic well, experience. you just
0: get everybody to do a video, send it in, and you just post all the videos online?
1: That may be what they will do but okay. normally what you normally what oh, you do is interaction. You, right. So uh, normally the the paper and I, I don't know. I just like I a bunch of Zoom stuff calls. Stuff out challenging. Yeah. So normally and maybe what they do is do the video but you you have like a church history session. And so it's only people that want to listen to that and they'll have like four papers that are read and people get to ask questions after them and it may be like 25 people in the room and then you'll have another one that's really big. That'll have like two hundred people in the room, just depending on what it is.
0: That that would be your breakout, by the way, with you presenting.
1: No, mine never. My <laughs> no, the Wendellberry session. It was a niche session. It didn't. Okay. Uh, it didn't have two hundred. Uh, anyway, so Ken Magnuson's got a big, uh, big task ahead of him, and I think he's up to it. But I used to work with Ted Cable and Ken Magnuson when they were. Um, When, when I was at Southern could say we're on the faculty there for a really long time. And then Lily park, we didn't work together at the same time, but she's a good friend of mine. So very excited for Southwestern. I know these are, uh, this is a big addition.
0: Yeah. So congratulations over there to our friends in Fort worth up to Kansas city. We're doing the barbecue tour right now, Amy, uh, Fort worth, Kansas city, all that. So in Kansas city at Spurgeon college, the undergraduate arm of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. They got uh, a couple of bachelor program updates. They updated their 120-hour Bachelor of Arts in History degree program and the Bachelor of Arts in Communication program. Over in the history side, they've incorporated an additional 42 credit hours that focus on history and historical methods. And in the communications program, they have replaced five business courses with new communications courses, including an extra journalism course Online presence, which you and I both I think would be thumbs up on that. Hey, absolutely. We should teach adjunct online, you know, or at least like do some kind of thing on podcasting. Give us a call, Charles Smith. We'll we'll come up there and do that. Jason Ducing, uh, good friend of the pod there and Jason Allen. I'm just going to let
1: you do that. I'm going to let you advertise. I'm
0: I'm just throwing that out there. Principles Uh of Crisis Communication. We can help with that too. Advanced Visual Communications and Introduction to Communication Theory. So uh, a really cool little program up there in Kansas City at Spurgeon College. Uh, Some updates to that history program and the communications program. And there's also uh, some additional online doctoral concentrations over at Southern Seminary that they announced this week. So Three new doctoral concentrations in the Doctor of Ministry and Doctor of Educational Ministry degrees. They are Applied Theology, Christian Ministry, and Global Mission. So the D-Men and the D-Ed men got added to over there in Louisville. And over to Wake Forest we go for an announcement with Southeastern and Fruitland Baptist Bible College. They are partnering to provide graduates of Fruitland, which is a, uh, a college affiliated with the North Carolina Convention. Uh, graduates could earn 46 hours toward a Bachelor of Arts and Pastoral Ministry at the College of Southeastern if they graduate with that degree over at Fruitland. It's like an associate's degree, but it'll apply toward the Bachelor of Arts. So um, that's a, a good little partnership there between those two schools to allow people to kind of get a head start on their degree program over at the College of Southeastern if they go to Fruitland. And now to New Orleans, Amy, where some big news for women down in the bayou.
1: Very excited about this. So New Orleans has launched. They've been prepping this for a while. They're uh, kind of relaunching their programs for women and introduce their new um, site, prepareher.com. So they really are focusing on kind of th- the sort of the different facets there at New Orleans Seminary. Um, and Tara Do, president's wife at New Orleans Seminary, and good, good friend of the pod, one of my closest friends in the world, and she will really be focusing her efforts there at New Orleans on the student wives, on preparing, helping prepare them for ministry. She's uniquely qualified for this, not just because she has been a ministry wife, but she has an EDD, and she wrote her dissertation on the level of preparedness that ministry wives experienced in when their husbands were in seminary. So that was her project and she wrote a whole thing on that, um, how prepared they were in different areas. So she is, she's going to do an incredible job with that. Stephanie Lyon is now working in women's life. She's basically the women's life coordinator there. And so she really is focusing on how to incorporate women into the campus and uh, and let them be. So that's a campus life program called Together. Stephanie Lyon is a great friend as well, was the women's ministry director at my church here in Wake Forest. So I know she's going to do an incredible job. And then Emily Dean will now be director of women's academic programs. So, what they're doing is just kind of bringing this three-pronged approach to incorporate all the women on campus, whether they are student wives, students, faculty wives, staff wives, um, or faculty and staff that are there and, and bring them together and have something, you know, for everyone. So they have a great story and then a new website to really share, um, to really share what they're doing to create life-giving spaces for the women of New Orleans Seminary. So yeah. I'm excited about this. Always great to see this kind of thing at our seminaries.
0: All right. Free marketing take for New Orleans here. Slogan, if you want to prepare her, comma, prepare here, period.
1: Okay. There you go. Yours for Just, the taking.
0: It's out there. Everyone. I, I, I bequeathed that. Them,
1: I'll, min- uh, I'll mention it to Tara.
0: If you want to prepare so. her, prepare here. It's perfect, yes. it would look good on the t shirt. Yeah, okay, maybe not. All right, over to Newark- North Carolina, Amy. We got one more story. Uh, not a Southern Baptist college, but used to be. Yes, is it? All right, La- and, and we had an argument about how to pronounce this, but I think it sounds like you're right.
1: Yeah, Chowan University,
0: it looks like in, Murfrees- right, in,
1: Murfrees- yeah, in Murfreesboro, North Carolina. Um, has announced that a facility named after Senator Jesse Helms has been renamed the Hawks Athletic Center. So Chawan is not a Baptist college now in the sense that it's no longer affiliated with the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, but for years and years it was, so there are a number of North Carolina Baptists that still were you know they graduated from there yeah, have a, a lot connection of alums, there probably yeah. right and so it is still you know has a real presence but they made the change due to the perception of many that positions taken by Senator Helms were not in keeping with the current mission of Chowan University so kind Every of interesting time you say you that can...
0: it bothers me
1: yeah I'm sorry um, so you 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 can see the story in Baptist Press and then go on to the full report at the Biblical Recorder yeah. So, very interesting.
0: Well, a lot of news. We covered a lot of news in a short amount of time this week, but that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds.
1: All right. We're just going to go back to 1972 because I noticed something that one of the conversations we've been having a lot in the last several weeks have been about Supreme Court decisions. And uh, this Early is a new thing,
0: big for new yeah. Supreme Court decisions. Not this very year, very much
1: so, very much so. So in seventy-two, John Baker, who was with the Baptist Joint Committee on Public Affairs, did a really long piece. Very that long, just yeah, that really just broke down what uh what all was happening as the nineteen seventy two session ended said they handed down a number of significant decisions, most on a split vote of five to four. So the more this things is, change. The more they stay the same. Yes, exactly. they do. Five four. So this votes. was under this was under Chief Justice Berger. And so, you know, this was coming right after the Warren Court, which is, is known, you know, a lot the Warren Court during
0: That's what they're known for. Yes,
1: they are known for that. Um, But Nixon had, at this point, appointed Chief Justice Berger, Justices Blackman, Powell, and Rehnquist. That's a name that'll be familiar to a lot of people.
0: For a later Chief Justice, right?
1: That's right. Uh, Yes, he was. But then also, this is Thurgood Marshall was on there, you know, uh, Brennan, uh, Potter Stewart, Justices Douglas and White, lots of people. And uh, so you you kind of had the breakdown very similar to now. You had sort of a conservative block, a liberal block. That's how folks were casting it, and then some swing votes. And so they had a, just a breakdown of how the blocks had sort of come together, how the swing votes had started, and then a, a breakdown of all the decisions that had happened in that that had happened in that year. Yeah, a couple so, of these
0: mind blowing. By the way,
1: yeah. Yeah, so one of them was, you know, they allowed... And this is really tough for me to take in. Private social clubs were allowed to continue to refuse membership based on race, even though the clubs operated with state licenses.
0: That's mind-blowing to me. I cannot wrap my head around that. That would be kicked out of court so fast right now.
1: Right, right. And uh, so there's that, some other ones.
0: Well... The First Amendment, freedom of the press, permitting reporters to protect their news sources. They limited that. Yes. I, 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 I cannot imagine the, the fights so, that would be fought over that right now.
1: Yeah. Was that, though, we need to look and see which decision that was. Would that have been the po- The decision with the post? It
0: the one that was because, in the, um, because, the one that was, that was after Watergate, though. So that would, that would have been later, right?
1: No, it you're talking was talking about the about one that was in
0: the in the the news, uh, in the the movie a few years ago the post. Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks. Did I get those names right? Were they the right people?
1: Yeah. No, okay. Nixon was Nixon was still president. That was about. I thought that the, was after Watergate. Um, no, that's all the president's men that you're thinking. Oh, uh, don't
0: of. get me started on that.
1: It was about the. Um,
0: you know my feelings on that movie. All right, so it was the 1971. Yeah, it was about
1: the pena- yeah, it was about Pentagon the Pentagon papers. papers. Oh,
0: that's right. It was the the uh, Vietnam stuff. That's right. Right. Oh, right. Maybe so.
1: It it that may that may be that case that they're talking about. So yeah. It it may have been limited, but I mean they were still allowed to protect their news sources. The Post won that, so we need to look and see if that's the case that they're talking about. But anyway, they really laid out and felt like. There was concern about days ahead, and particularly in things you know like religious liberty, which is interesting because the next year was 1973, which is probably the most famous case in modern history, uh, which is Roe v. Wade. So, just an interesting article. We've been talking a lot about Supreme Court cases lately. They were talking about it this week in SBC History.
0: Okay, so that one in 1972 was Brandsburg versus Hayes, or v. Hayes. Sorry, Brandsburg v. Hayes. Something different. So that was in Kentucky. Uh, the okay. Paul Brandsburg, was a, a he was in Kentucky. He refused to answer questions before grand juries about sources. It was involving illegal drugs. So interesting. That's what, that's what that was. So okay. Okay. All right.
1: Well, still.
0: Thank you, Google. I didn't know that. By the way, All right. I didn't pull and that this, out of the hat.
1: Okay. And this and the case, the Pentagon Papers case, was in seventy one.
0: Yeah, it was a seventy one case. So, Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. All right.
1: All right, very this cool. This week
0: in Supreme Court history, Amy's mm-hmm. other podcast, it kind of bled over into this one. So uh, thank you, Amy, for that. So, But yeah, all happening uh, this week in SVC history. There's a lot going on in those early years in the 70s, uh, and I think um, John Baker covered it all in this one article. Yes.
1: Yeah, was, very cool. It's
0: like three pages. It's a long article. But anyway, well, that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week
1: is... It's a new book called The Baptist Association, Assisting Churches Advancing the Gospel. It was released in June by the Southern Baptist Conference of Associational Leaders, and it was published in conjunction with NAM and through Rayner Publishing. It explains the roles of associations in 21st century Southern Baptist life and offers counsel on how to lead them. So, uh, you know, pretty cool thing is... Uh, the the North American Mission Board paid for the first printing and are going to send one to every Baptist association in the SBC family, and then um, the SBCAL will be sending copies to state convention executive directors and entity leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention. So, what it's about pretty entity cool.
0: podcast hosts?
1: I think we, we have, could probably buy just a need to copy. buy our own. Okay, we'll yeah, we that. should buy them and support them. Okay. So, um, yeah, so it's really cool. So David Roach kind of put together a story and says that and explained that it it describes that how a local fellowship of churches can remain relevant in the era of global connectivity and online ministry resources. Lots of contributors. Um, Rick Wheeler, Friend of the Pod, um, Kevin Ezel, Paul Chitwood, a, a also number of people. Of the pod, so,
0: by the way, also Friends of the Pod. Don't want yes. to leave them out. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. No. All right, so that's mine. What do you have?
0: Is it understood when they're entity heads are friends of the pod?
1: Well, it's kind of weird because all the entity heads, we would say they're friends of the pod because we support, you know, the, the work yeah. well, in, yeah, in this podcast. We also know them. But it sounds kind of so. name droppy, you know, to be like, hey, friend of the pod. So. But they are. So well, anyway, keep going. We appreciate
0: Ray Gentry, Ray Gentry for sending that over. So Ray's been very supportive of us. Yes. We, we try to support him as well. So uh, Ray's also yes. a good friend of the pod. So Ray, thank you for all you do for Southern Baptist Associational Leaders. Yes. My resource of the week, it's, it's kind of not really a resource. It's just a reminder. So reminder of the week. Sunday is both Send Relief Sunday and Children's Ministry Day. So Sin Relief, obviously, uh, the Compassion Ministry of Southern Baptist, a partnership with NAM and the IMB, Sin Relief uh, story in Baptist Press this week about all the opportunities that you have and the ways that you can help people in need. So Bryant Wright, president of Sin Relief, quoted in that. So a lot of different ways that you can get involved and you can help Sin Relief, uh, both churches and families and children. Uh, children, obviously, you can do that maybe even as part of Children's Ministry Day, which is also this weekend. And our good friend, Zach McCuller, friend of the pot, I guess you could say. Uh, Zach made that motion a couple of years ago in Dallas at the SPC annual meeting to have a Children's Ministry Day. And this year we celebrate our second Children's Ministry Day. The first one was last year in 2019. This year uh, we're celebrating it again here on the third Sunday in July. Children's Ministry Day, Amy, it's it's Children's Ministry Day every day at the Howe House, by the way.
1: Of course. Yes.
0: Of course, because my wife is a children's Children's minister. minister. Yeah. So every day is Children's Ministry Day at my house, but it can be Children's Ministry Day at your house this Sunday. So uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Those are our resources of the week. So Amy, one more thing before we go. Guess what I got to do this week?
1: You got to go to Opryland.
0: I did. Why did I get to go to Opryland, Amy?
1: Site visit.
0: That's right. You got it. So I went to Opryland this week and got to see all the details about where we're going to be next year for the SBC annual meeting here in Nashville. We're hosting a home game. It's a home game next year, Amy. So I'm excited. Some neat little facilities, a little different than normal, but Opryland, great place to be. Enjoy it. Come early. Stay late. Nashville's a great town. So looking forward to seeing everybody next year. And uh, it just, it was neat to see it and, and know that, hey. Here's where we're going to be next year. So that's always exciting. That first time you go into the site visit and uh, that happened this week. So exciting times over there and uh, getting to see that and getting to see where everything's going to be happening next year. Can't wait to see it with our 10,000 plus friends next year, Amy. We're still going for that. Yes.
1: We're going to break 10,000. We yes. were going to do it this year.
0: Oh man. We had it in the bag. And COVID. Ugh. I think COVID. Oh, that know. hurts, Amy. That hurts. Okay. So that's done. We got that. When does housing registration open, Amy?
1: October 1st.
0: When does pre registration for messengers and child care open, Amy? February 1st of 2021. So, yes. Yes. And then we'll see everybody in June of 2021 here in Nashville. So, that's going to do it for us this week, folks. See you next week. See
1: you next week.